Praise God. While you're standing, turn with me to a very familiar portion of Scripture, Psalms 23. I realize that most of you could quote it, but we're going to read it together, and then we're going to go to Genesis chapter 41, Psalms 23. I'd like to give honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. We were... That old song this morning, His Grace and Mercy. Old Donnie McClurkin was on, was on my radio and just singing His Grace and Mercy. And I, I, can't, I can't contain myself. I am a hopeless crybaby. May some of you be affected with it. It's good for your soul. Let's read it together, if you will. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth my Leadeth me beside still waters, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Forever. One more verse and you may be seated after that. Genesis chapter 41 and verse 1. It says, And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. You may be seated. I uh, want to talk to you today about cycles, about endings. And about new beginnings. I uh, didn't plan this for New Year's. I didn't know I would be preaching today. You may not believe this, but that's the last thing that I want to do. But there's an interesting word here in verse 3. It says, He restoreth my soul and leadeth me in paths. And in the Hebrew, that word is megal. And it literally means entrenchments, a track, a rut, a circular, or as in a circle. To revolve or in cycles. And I realize, though I'm not an educated formerly man, I realize there are different theories and methods of learning. There are linear methods of learning, holistic methods of learning, and there are cycles of learning. But scripturally speaking, all things really do consist of cyclical type learning. That's why we have the Seven feasts that are operated every year so that every year we learn over and over again, not the same old things, but new things. God's creation in the beginning started with cycles, cycles of seven days and continued on to the eighth day, if you will. Eight being the number in Hebrew again of new beginnings. And that makes the seventh day or the eighth day actually the first day and it represents New beginnings. And you can see this throughout scripture. I'm not going to belabor this in any theological gymnastic way, but you'll see that the first seven chapters of Genesis, it's God essentially doing his work on earth with mankind or through mankind. And then on the eighth chapter of Genesis, God begins again with Noah. He rolls back the waters, the dry ground appears, the ark lands, and there is a new beginning. While I preached to you and others, Pastor Wright and many others, have preached to you about Isaiah 46 and 10, that God declares the end from the beginning. That is a truth. 
We grow in cycles in between. In other words, God does declare the end from the beginning. It's the biblical code of the linear projection, if you will. It's how we know we're nearing the end days, if you will. But in between there, we grow in cycles. Amen. That's why it says in the New Testament somewhere, it says that, uh, and as it was or as it will be in the days of Noah, so shall it be. Cycles. Amen. Are you with me so far? We learn and realize and experience things via cycles. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but it's true. And perhaps it's why some of you aren't growing very well. Amen. So we come to Genesis chapter 41, and I was catching up on some of my Parsha reading, and uh, I, I read this the other day. It is uh, known in Hebrew as Miketz, and it says, it means at an end. And it says, it came to pass that at the end of two full years, Pharaoh had a dream. And you know the story. I don't feel like I need to rehearse the story of Joseph. Most of you know it. I have no intention of fully rehearsing it. But very quickly, you do know the story. Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery. He found his way into Potiphar's house where he was, uh, where he was, uh, sold by Potiphar's wife, accused him of, uh, raping her essentially. And he was put in prison in Potiphar's house, by the way, which meant Potiphar saw greatness in him. And the opening verse that I read to you in Genesis indicates that God's timing is very specific and that every ending marks the beginning of something new. Now, I understand that you don't think that's a revolutionary thought right now, but let me just lay a little bit of foundation for you, if you will. You see, Joseph's time, even though he was in prison, wrongly accused, had come to full circle where Joseph was about to be restored to greatness. You, you know the story here. The chief baker and the chief butler had dreams in prison with Joseph. Joseph interpreted those dreams correctly, unfortunately for the baker, I believe, and uh, fortunately for the butler. But uh, And then Pharaoh had his dream, and nobody could interpret it, so I believe it was the chief butler said, I know a Hebrew dude. You know, he ain't much to look at. He's a little bitty fella. But he interprets dreams. Well, Pharaoh said, well, bring him on up here because I need to talk to him. And, and of course, you know the story. But the problem is that we don't obviously preach all the story sometimes because while this moment marked a fruitful season or a new beginning for Joseph, it also marked simultaneously the prophecy being beginning to be fulfilled to Abraham that his children would be sold into slavery. There's always an ending. There's always a beginning. And if you're not mindful of these cycles in God, then you can really get crossed up with God and what He's doing or how He's doing it in your life. How many know that God's acts of intervention and redemption usually happen very quickly and unexpectedly, but they happen after a long or a prolonged period of time in your life? I thought I'd at least get a voluntary amen on that. But even in this, Genesis 39 and 21 says, the book says that, but even being wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife and in prison wrongfully, 
The Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph. Praise God. You might be shackled. You might be confined. You might be restricted. But if God is with you like Joseph, you can go through anything. Hmm. If you find yourself in confinement today, I want you to know Sometimes, most of the times, the reason behind that is that God has you in his refinement process. We hate being confined. We hate being restricted. We hate uh, not being noticed or having our wings being able to spread. We don't like where we are. That's just how we are as people. I'm happy where I am, but I really want to be over there. And God says, no, because I have you in a place of refinement. And I want you to notice something in the story, and then we'll move on from this story, that God always develops his own in obscurity. Yeah, I'm just going to take my time and let you think about that for a little bit. He'll bring you to a place where nobody knows you, Everybody's forgotten about you, and you don't even know what you're doing there. In in obscurity, God began to develop. He told his dream to the butler and and the, the, the baker in obscurity. He really might have known something would come out of it, but it's not promised or even hinted to in the scriptures. But it was in this obscure place where nobody knew who he was that God used that place of refinement to define who Joseph would be. Some of us just resent where we're at so badly that you shackle God's hands from getting you out of that prison and growing to the place of maturity where he's called you to be. There are two things that I believe, in my experience, with me, that God has to kill in your life. They are key things if you ever want to be. How many want to be greatly used of God someday, today, every day? Most of you, I believe everybody really, to be honest with you. If you want to be greatly used of God, there's two things that need to die in you. One of them is ambition and the other one is preeminence. (laughs) Colossians uh, 1 and 18, if I can find it here real quick. I don't do the iPad thing. I still the old-fashioned paper guy, so... Hang in there with me. Without a mic stand, there we go. Colossians 1 and 18, I'll I'll read probably 13, I think. It says, who, speaking of Jesus Christ, has delivered us from the power of darkness, had translated us unto the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him we are all they are all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by all things consist. And he is the head of the body. Not you, not me. He's the head of the body. We lose sight of that sometimes. You, Oh, boy. There's some of you in this room that worship Pastor Joel Wright or Bishop Wright or whoever you worship. And I'm telling you, it's wrong. Christ is the head of the church. He is the chief shepherd. 
and you set your eyes in the wrong place and you're going to get the wrong thing. I'm not telling you to disrespect anybody. They deserve respect and honor. I'm just talking about where your eyes are beholden. And the Bible says that he is the head of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things he might have preeminence. He might be first. We need to talk about Jesus. We need to disciple about Jesus. We need to love in Jesus' name. We need to preach more about Jesus. Because he is first. Okay, we'll just go on this little rabbit trail for a minute here. Praise God. Y'all right? Amen. Amen. Uh, John chapter, third John, the third epistle of John. Uh, there's only one chapter, verse, uh, let me find it, verse 9. He, the apostle's writing to the church and he's going to call out somebody. I, I know that we don't do that in this modern environment, but he's going to do that. He said, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receive us not. Wherefore, if I, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which I'll do with prating. He's, he is running his mouth, prating against us with malicious words and content thereof. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren. And it goes on to talk great swelling words about this man, not. The point I'm trying to make to you is these things have to die in us. And all the holy go like this. That's not in me. It's, it's in you. Trust me. It's in you. It's in every man. It's in me. And we all, if God, there's nothing wrong with godly ambition. Godly ambition is surrendered on an altar before God. There's nothing wrong with godly ambition. How do you tell the difference? Well, for those of you that are in ministry, small groups and otherwise, if you find yourself weary, if you find yourself just, I don't want to do this anymore. It's just, it's become a job. It's not become an anointing. It's not, it's not a love. Like this man loves to disciple. Brother Jolin loves to disciple. You could tell they love it. They love their people. They love them this way and they love them this way. They rebuke, they chastise, they love, they correct because they love what they do. And you can, it's evident by the fruit that they bear in what they do. But you can get so weary in well-doing that you're always tired. And you're always down. That, that's a sign of fleshly ambition. <laughs> I paid him to amen me today. Last week I paid him real good. I amen him real good. I knew what I was doing. Bible says we reap what we sow. I was trying to sow a little something in advance. I, I, you know, I, I honestly think very low of myself in, in a lot of different ways and I understand it's a problem but I've had opportunities to pastor and to take churches and to do things and I, I, I had an opportunity to pastor in Harlem and, and different places believe it or not and for a while I was on the evangelistic field in New Hampshire and it went really well I was voted in to a non-denominational Baptist church they knew who I was they knew what I stood for I've had opportunities, but you see, the truth of the matter is, the reason I'm not there in those places today is because I wasn't ready for them. 
That's the really hard truth. See, the truth of the matter is, if you put a little man, and I don't mean my stature this one time. I mean my character. I mean my spirit. If you put a little man in a big place, he'll do everything he can to bring that big place down to his space. And if you put a, but if you put a big man, and I'm talking about a big man that, that's had, gone through the trials, he's, he doesn't have preeminence in his heart, he's, he's broken before God, he's ready for that place. If you put a big man in a little place, he'll do everything he can to raise that little place up to his size. I wasn't ready. And I kicked, and I bucked, and I got angry. But the, mat, the fact of the matter is, I wasn't ready. The good news today is that with every ending, God is already waiting right there at your new beginning. You need to believe that today. Let me give you a few examples if I could. Uh, Genesis, uh, excuse me, yeah, Genesis 7, chapter 1. The verse says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house unto the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. What a word there it is, it come. The word come there in the Hebrew is bow, and there's an entire parsha written on this particular, there's actually a few songs written that you may be familiar with on the Christian websites, bow. It literally means to come. The the Young's Little Translation says it this way, and Jehovah said to Noah, come in to the ark. In other words, this is more than just like Abraham was told to go somewhere. God is essentially saying, if you read this in the Hebrew tenses, he's saying literally, come into the ark. The implication is, he's already in it. He's already there. God is saying, come into the ark where I am. This is going to make sense in a little bit. And he says to Noah that you and your, and I've seen you in this generation. We've had a lot of generations uh, go by. I think we had the lost generation in World War I, uh, the silent generation, the great generation. Uh, we have X and Y, and now we even have Z. I think that stands for the zombie generation, right? The Z nation. Oh, stop pretending you don't know. First Peter chapter 2 and 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, and you can't forget that you're a part of that generation. And in that generation, this generation, somebody say me. You learn through cycles. Praise God. Never goes the way you think it's going to go. Exodus chapter 10, verse 1. By George, I got it. Exodus chapter 10 in verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in, bow unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these my signs before him. Again, the word bow there means that he wants Moses to go with him. And it also implies by implication that he's hardened Pharaoh's heart that he's already been there with Pharaoh. 
You really believe God doesn't know or hasn't visited you where you're at right now? No, sir. No, ma'am. The Lord is in effect saying unto Moses, come to me and we will go unto Pharaoh. All Moses had to do was simply join him, cooperate with him, and go to that place where God had already been before him. Bo is an invitation, not a command. And it requires a person to trust and to believe. How about this one? And I'll end it here as far as Bo and making my point, but I could go on for a long time. But this is, this is one you're familiar with. King David used the word bow. And as I read, you're familiar with this. Psalms 100 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord is good. It is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Bow into his presence. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth for all generations. I used to literally have a mental picture in my mind when we always, when preachers would get up and say, the Bible says to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Come on, everybody, stand up right now and enter into his gates and God's presence will be here. And so I had this, this image, and I, I know I, I, I understand I have faulty thinking, but I, I had this image that we had to get up, we had to praise God, we had to get at those gates, we had to enter it, we had to open those gates, and we had to enter in a certain way in order for God to show up. And that's not true! He's already there! <laughs> if you just, I know this is simple, but if you just try to put your mind around it for a minute, then when you come to worship, you don't have to enter into the gates the way Brother Trombley used to think. He's already here. He's saying, come through that gate and I'm right there. Waiting for you. Bo, come unto me. All I need you to do is join me. Agree with me. Come on in with me. You don't have to work it up. You don't have to get into a frenzy. You don't have to sweat your suit coat or shake your hair off. God's not that kind of God. He said, I'm already there waiting for you. I believe that's why Jesus said things in the New Testament And I'll stop. I mean, I could go on. But you see, again, the foundation of Hebrew is the launching pad for understanding the Greek New Testament. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden. Something like that. And I will give you rest. Bo, come. I'm right here. You don't have to go that far. Come, I'm right here. But yet we sit in a service, and I'm not trying to be critical, but, but it, it, it's, it's troubling as, as a pastor, as a leader, to watch people willfully live below the experiences in God. You're not going to get what you need from a preacher. You're not going to get what you need from me. You're not even going to get it from Pastor Wright. But where you can get it is where we were earlier, where God says, enter in to my gates. 
I'm going to tell you something. You may not believe this, but it's true. When you enter into those doors, into this sanctuary, and I know what it is, but to me it's a sanctuary because I have made it my sanctuary in a place where I worship the God. We have made it and designated it, not the place, but a place where we come. When you come through the doors of your small group, you got to say the same thing. This door is anointed. Beyond this door lies the Spirit of God because he said, Bo, Bo. You have every right to expect. Not make happen. That's the old way. (laughs) Praise God. Let's go back to some notes. Isn't that safer? Praise God. Idiomatically, bow means to die. Which again, reinforces what I'm trying to say to you today is, you will never experience a new beginning without letting go of the dead things that are attached to you. This is a lot harder than you think it is. There are seasons in our lives that need to come to an end. Endings are necessary in order to have new beginnings, but God is, as I said, waiting for you there. Listen, when stuck becomes your new normal, you're in trouble. You don't don't have to be stuck. But when stuck becomes your new normal, you're in a lot of trouble. And before we go to the next part of this, I want to stress to you that endings are not equivalent to failure. Without death, there would have been no resurrection. So we have growth cycles or necessary endings or and or new beginnings. This is what should be happening in the church. What should be happening in everyone's life, regardless of their level of growth or anything else. Infancy gives rise to childhood. Childhood uh, gives rise to toddlerhood and toddlerhood, if you will, if that's a word, gives rise to being adult, at least for women. Most men don't make that journey very well, but y'all are asleep or I'm bored. I thought at least a few women would say amen. Praise God. We don't do well there sometimes, but getting, you know, I heard on the... uh, I'm not going to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. I heard uh, on the news that Sears and Roebuck is uh, declaring bankruptcy and thinking about it or closing their stores. I, I know I don't have the exact information, but something to that effect. And if you think about it, Sears and Roebuck, from my understanding, was around in the, when the West was being... Uh, Settled. And it was one of the bigger reasons why the West was settled. Think about it. What a, at that time, think about it at that time, there were no supply stores, no Walmarts, no Sears, no Food Lions, no Zachme, no none of that stuff out in the West. And, and so Sears and Roebuck came up with this idea that we'd create this catalog and we would let them order all the way from the West and then we'd ship it out to them and we'd make a ton of money while being contributing to the way the West was won. 
And not only that, but Sears and Roebuck played an integral part of my life as a child. I mean, that was the Bible of Christmas, you know. I mean, that was, man, we had fights in my house over that thing, you know. We, you, you, you mark it in green, you mark it in orange, and you mark it in blue, and I'll mark it in whatever. And man, boy, you know, it, it, was, it was a fight. But Sears and Roebuck apparently never made that jump when Al Gore invaded the Internet. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. But when the internet came about, Sears and Roebuck just kept on doing what, and there was nothing wrong with what they were doing. It was successful for a long period of time. For a hundred, I don't know, hundred, but fifty plus years, it was extremely successful. So why should they change? But the internet came along and they didn't recognize companies like Amazon and even Walmart now is doing it and other companies. And now they've lost everything or are losing everything that they had all of these years. And you can hold on to a ministry so long. Because it's what you know and it's what you were called to do and it's a good thing that you can lose everything. You can hold on to a job so long that you can lose everything. You have to recognize the cycles of God and how he works in your life. Am I making sense to you right now? You must recognize these cycles. You say, well, I'm called to be a pastor. Wonderful. But there are cycles within your calling to be a pastor that will change according to the destiny, according to the short and long-term need, according to the needs of people that sit before you. And so there are still cycles inside a short calling. Getting to the next growth cycle always, somebody say always, always Always requires ending something, leaving it behind and moving on. Growth demands you to move on. I'm going to say this to you all because I know you understand. Isn't it tiring to see good people sitting in the seats, not growing, never changing? Doesn't it hurt? It really hurts. And sometimes because it hurts us so bad and we want to help so bad, we say wrong things. The timing of God is everything. Without the ability to end things in your life, you will stay stuck, never becoming what you're meant to be, never accomplishing what God has set before you, never fully developing and entering into the use of your God-given talents. New beginnings, ending cycles are also an important factor in your personal lives. As I had just gotten ahead of my little notes here, relationships need to end. Addictions need to end. Brother Cassius, would you stand up for me? Why don't you come down here? Come up here for me. Come here. I... Do not know a man with a greater God-given heart for service. I don't know. There's, There's probably one out there or two. 
There's probably, the Lord said, we have others you know not of. So I'm sure you're not the only one. But I don't know anybody at Antioch with a greater gift of service than this man. He is a licensed minister. He is, he is everything that I am and more because he's faithful to his calling. Don't move. But getting to the next growth cycle or level always requires letting go of something. If we would have let this man continue to be the head usher, he would have been the head usher until Jesus returned or he went on to glory. And we couldn't find a better replacement. I mean, I love Ray, brother Ray Lamone's doing a great job, but it's hard to replace this man. But we could not let him stay there because there's more to this man than just that. We couldn't let him be ahead of us for all of his life because God wants him to be a C50, a C100, a C1000. Wants this man to lead others, to preach in sermons, and to lead people to the lost. There's a need and there's a cycle at Antioch West that is greater than his gifting. You understand what I'm saying now? Are you finally with me now? You gotta let some things go that have become your identification. Don't, 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 I know all about this. Every time I come to Antioch West, I'm reminded all over of the new beginning God gave me and the ending that got me here. Every time I hear him sing the Revelation song, I'm reminded of that painful process, but I'm so thankful that in that process, God, like Joseph, was with me and he brought me to a place of new beginnings that I could not even dream about. But I had to let some things go. I had to stop resisting the temptation to define me and myself the same old way. No, oh boy. Nobody's going to stand up for you. You'll always be Dexter. You'll always be old bald-headed John. That's a personal joke. (laughs) It's a personal joke. You'll always be who everybody thinks you are. And because, and, and the problem with letting that happen is you believe what everybody else says about you. And once you believe it, oh Lord, then it's settled. Then you're in agreement. Well, I'm just going to agree with them that I'm not a preacher, that you don't want to hear me, that oh, he ain't no good. Well, I reject all of that. I'm called of God. I don't care what you say. But nobody's going to do that for you. you got to stand up in the spirit and bow and enter in. <laughs> the problem is that our psychological makeup is a collection of past experiences. And these determine how we think about endings. trouble I'm gonna get in trouble I need somebody to help me 
and won't be offended. Come here. She loves me. Anne's big enough to hurt me if she has to. <laughs> if, 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 if all I've ever experienced, and I'm not saying that's all she's ever experienced. She's just my example. She's my prop. If all I've ever, example, ever experienced was terrible breakups and no new beginnings, then how am I going to respond when God presents me one I'm not. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to let that happen to me. After all, my psychological makeup says, that's the way it is. That's the way it's always been. I come from that side of the tracks. I come from this part of town. This is the way it is. This is the way it's always been. And so I can't embrace anything that God is trying to do in my life because it's outside of society's box and it's outside of your box. Lord, have mercy. Did I chase Michael away? If you've had nothing but painful endings in your life and not very many, if any, new beginnings, then you're going to have a hard time letting God help you with this because it's going to hurt, because it's going to cause you to trust and be vulnerable. Making cycles of growth normal is what God is trying to do at Antioch West. You hear me in in the Holy Ghost, you hear me. Not just as West. When I say West, I don't just mean the leadership or the church in general. I mean you. I mean every one of you individually. Gray heads, no heads. Children, children. But you have to believe that. I'm not saying that every time your ministry doesn't work or something goes wrong, that that's a sign that you should just end everything and let it go. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not the truth. But you have to learn to admit that where more effort will not get the job done... Perhaps God is trying to tell me something. I mean, how am I doing for time? Am I okay? I'm almost done. I really am. Come here. You, you, you guys are big guys. Come here. Come all three. Come on. Just face that way. Now, if I'm a linear... Stop. Joe, where are you going? Right here, buddy. If, if, if I'm a lineal thinking type of guy, then I'm going to push and do all I can do to get from A to M-N-O-P, etc. So I'm going to lower my shoulders. I'm going to find some big guys, and I'm going to run behind them, and we're going to push with all of our might trying to move that linear line. Thank you, brothers. But you, you have to realize you're pushing against God. And so you could get the biggest guys you want, and he's not going to be moved like that until you learn and embrace what he's trying to teach you where you're at. God develops in obscurity, but man always wants to be popular and out in front.
I want to give you three principles as I end that I believe will help you put into practice what I have so inadequately tried to communicate to you today. One, you have to embrace what I've said here today about the reality of growth cycles. That's number one. And for some of you, you're not going to get by that. I could have really went off in the Hebrew and used David on the backside. I could have done all of this stuff. But sometimes you just lay it out there and see who will grab a hold of it. Number one. Number two, you have to understand or embrace the pruning process. You have to be able to understand that sometimes there's too much growth in a particular area in your life. You say, Brother Trumba, I don't think that's true. That's because you're not looking through the eyes of God. You're measuring your growth based on something a preacher or a pastor has said or some normal that the church has set for you. And we're not all normal. Let's face the facts. And we're not all called to do the same thing. Praise God. I'm not called to be a pastor. Please don't ever let that happen to me. I will... I will throw a little fit. That's all I said. You know, I guess I should talk to my mom about this, but my grandmom, they had a garden, and and to walk down to the garden, there was these cement steps off the driveway, and it had this white arch. And I I was just a kid. You know, first of all, I'm not into my grandparents, right? I just want to go with my friends. Second of all, I'm not into roses. I am still not into roses. My grandmother would spend hours and hours and hours trimming this rose bush that had grown, I guess, up the arch and over the arch and down the other side. And, you know, one day I made the mistake, that this is the same woman that washed my mouth with lava soap, <laughs> of asking her, you know, what, what are you doing, man? I mean, you're out here all the time. Well, she proceeded to give me a lesson on how if she does not prune or trim or cut these roses out they will grow in such abundance that the plant the plant will actually die and so if allowed it will produce so much that it will either distort or die in its growth cycle so she had to trim it back and there are cycles in your life where nothing's going right and everything's going wrong, especially the way you've designed it to be. And you just might be in a cycle where God is saying, listen, i got to cut some of this back because you're producing too much where you're at now for where I'm taking you. And we don't like that. By your response, I know you don't like that. <laughs> but you can't get out of it. It's impossible. God's not going to take your excess or your weight or your sin to the next cycle. So as long as you hold on to it, you're going to stay where you're at. There's some small group leaders here and others that may know and may not know. There's some big changes coming. There's some, there's some necessary endings and there's some new beginnings. But we're quite frankly excited about them because we see God's cyclical hand in doing it. And in, the, in God's cyclical process, he doesn't say, that's the end, son, you're done, sit down. He says, that's the end, I have a new beginning for you. 
Amen. The third thing is uh, to embrace the understanding that everybody isn't going to embrace your new understanding. (laughs) Your business, I'd like to get Brother Knotts to stand up or Sister Knotts to stand up because I'm sure they could testify to this, but your business or your life will change when you really, 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 really get it that some people are not going to change. They are not going to change no matter what you do. I have a wife. One wife. Just one wife. She's over there. And I forgot what I was going to say because he's kind of giving me that smile like I'm in trouble, right? I have a wife that never gives up on anybody. It, it, it's really sickening in a good way. I mean, we were pastoring. She would have card files of index files. And, and we, she never met anybody. Nobody ever attended our church. She never took that file and threw it out. I believe she probably still has those index files. She's shaking her head yes. Fifteen years ago, when we were pastoring in Brooklyn, she still has those files. She never gives up. And I'm not asking you to give up or write people off, but you must understand that in the cycles of God, there are times when you have to separate or let somebody go that's determined or convinced you that they don't want to go where you're going. If you're in this place today and you've never been born again, if you've never embraced the gospel or entered into the new covenant with God, you can today. There is a new beginning for you. The Bible says that you must first be born again. You can't even see it. You've got to be born of the water and the spirit in order to enter into the kingdom of God. This is what we preach and this is why we preach it. There must be a death to self. Old things passing away. Behold, all things are new. If you're here today or you're watching us online, I want to say to you that I once was one of those old things in life, just like perhaps you are today. And I want to say to you clearly and loudly and distinctly that you can have a new life, a new beginning today through the blood of Jesus Christ. You can repent of your sins. You could turn from those things. You can experience a spiritual death through the waters of baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all of your sins and a new beginning by raising your hands and receiving the gift of the Spirit of God. This is a reality. Every much a reality as I preach to the church today about cycles of growth in your life. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you today? If you want to grow, you're going to have to participate in these growth cycles. 
And there are people that you're going to have to let go of. Not maliciously. You don't even have to tell them. But there are people that are not going where you want to go. And they'll never let you go where you want to go. Until you let them go. I spent a large part of my 20s to 30s following people that didn't want anything to do with anything I wanted to do. But I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to be alone. I didn't want to be by myself. You know, I lived in New York City for almost 12 years. It was the most lonely time of my life. You can be surrounded by millions of people and be as lonely as a settler in the middle of Alaska. Because my soul was craving for change. It was craving for something different. It was craving for a new beginning. And I want to tell you something. My soul has never lost that craving. Even today, I crave for more. I crave for... And the good news is, there is more. And you can have it. Would you stand to your feet with us today? It would be awful tempting to just... Let this go. It would be well within my realm of insecurity to just let it go and let you go be well and think about it in your small groups. But I want to know today, is there anybody that wants to experience what I've talked about here today? Is there anybody that wants to grow? Is there anybody that wants to be pruned, leave some things behind? Is there anybody that's sincerely sick of being stuck? That doesn't make you a bad person. We all get stuck. But don't be dishonest about it because you can't change that way. There's no shame. There's nothing wrong. But I feel a supernatural gifting and ability to help those of you that really want to get unstuck this morning. If you feel that way today, or perhaps you've never received the Spirit of God, I want you to come down here in an old-fashioned way and, and make that declaration, not to us, but to yourself. But know this, that it's going to take some work. Come down front, Cecilia. It's going to take some effort on your part. And that's why others are not coming. You understand that? That's why they're not coming. People like to stay where they're comfortable. I was recently talking to somebody in my house last week. And that somebody said to me, Dan, I was resigned to going to hell. This is a man that was raised in the church, that knows God, that's baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. But life had got him in such a cycle, if you will, of, of, of ugliness, that he just gave up and he said, I just resigned myself to going to hell. I didn't know what else to do. And I told him, you came to the right place. Because I told him, you don't have to live there and you don't have to die like that. Because God says, Bo, come unto me all ye if I could paraphrase that don't want to be like that anymore you say brother Trombley it can't be that easy it really is it really is 
But it wasn't easy for him. He died. He got beat. He died to make it available to us. And all it is to us is a simple choice that should be formulated out of desire. If you want to change, you are going to... I'm giving a few more minutes to let some people come. I want to say this the right way. I feel an unction of the prophetic upon me. Antioch West has already entered into this growth cycles through discipleship, through AOD, through... UTB through next steps but all because of God I'm just going to ask you not to be left behind today because Antioch West come 2019 in a few days is going to experience a supernatural supercharged atmosphere not only in our gatherings but in our small groups and more importantly in our lives of change and change is 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 contagious it's 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 better than cancer in that way It, it spreads it touches everybody well if he could change then I can change And I want to say, you're right in your thinking. Not because of me, but because of Him. Father, in just a minute. Oh, God. Oh, Father. Ya moshitala marabakunda. Come on, God's moved in here. My altar call is meaningless. He's here right now. Oh, I am with you right now, right here. Wash my sins away. Now I'm living like I'm forgiven. You came and set me free.